So hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. It's awesome to be in God's house with you, and you guys, you guys look amazing. I, uh, I'm very happy with how many of y'all are here, showing up in the service here, and uh, we had a great turnout at 9.15 as well, and so we're very excited about that. They, uh, they actually outdid my faith in seeing who was going to show up in that service, and you guys uh, are already like, you're doing good, man. Uh, fill this place up, and let's give God glory at what he's doing. All right, that's what we're talking about with each one, reach one, and teach one is we're just fulfilling the gospel message that Christ has asked of us by doing that. He's asked us to go out and reach this world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. What an amazing season this is, Christmas time, as we come into the celebration today being the first Sunday of Advent, which is hope. He is the hope of the world, and we carry that hope with us to present to the world who is a hopeless place of darkness. You think about this that they had heard from the promise of the Father from the Garden of Eden forward, all the way through Israel's history saying the Messiah was coming, all the way through that time. And then we come to the end of uh, the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And they called the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, that, that intertestament was 400 years of silence. There was no prophetic word of God. There was no anything going on as far as God speaking to humanity or anything. And God finally broke the silence, saying, it's time. And here we are in the midst of this moment of our lives where we are saying to this world, hope has come. And so in the midst of darkness, the light came, which was Jesus Christ. And it is in this place and in this environment and this opportunity that you and I have this great responsibility and opportunity to share that hope with this world who is still living in darkness looking for hope. God's amazing. He is so amazing, and we can take advantage of this great season. Christmas and Easter, a lot of people go to church. They're thinking about God. They at least have him in their mind or their radar. So it gives us a great opportunity to share Jesus with them and invite them out to church. So did you invite somebody to church this week? Yep. All right. How about if we make that 100% next week? We're going to reach them. We're not just saying right, invite people to church. When we say each one, reach one, we're saying you share Christ with them. You call them into that place where they meet Jesus. That's what we're asking you to do because Jesus asked you to do it. It's not because we want you to. God wants you to. And it's our privilege and our opportunity to be as ambassadors. All right. So you spent at least five minutes last week, five days reading God's word. Did you do that? If you did, say yes. yes. Did you share God's story with someone this week? Did you spend some time alone with him? Yes. You know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Yes. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in time? Yes. Yes. Talents? Yes. Resources? Yes. All right, so I ask them individually for a yes. Normally, I just throw them all together. But you can't just pick one of those. God's asking us to be all in. Right. And he's asking us to give everything to him. I already asked you if you invited someone to church. So... I want to share with you as I get ready to, to bring God's word to us today that um, last Sunday during the worship service, uh, we were so blessed. I, I want everybody in the room to know we love you and we're glad you're here. We are so blessed that God has opened a door with Sue Joseph and uh, his wife Linda and the Gospel Rescue Mission and what's happening down there, that God has opened a door um, to create a relationship with that community and uh, that in so doing, you know that we were asked to go pick them up, and God provided a vehicle for us to do that. We got a van and started picking them up, and last Sunday, I said we had to make two trips, and uh, so in this service last Sunday, I said, hey, we need a second van. Some of you laughed, but it's okay. I, I think it's funny, too, and I said, no, but I'm serious. Let's pray about that. I got a text on Sunday afternoon, a call on Monday 
and bought another van this week, paid in full. Yes. God is amazing. Is God awesome or what? So there's two vans out there, so there's another opportunity for you to serve is we need some drivers with good records. All right, you have to have a license. You have to have a good driver record, okay? Just letting you know. We do background checks on our children's worker, youth workers. We do background checks on our drivers. We want to make sure that we're keeping our integrity and everyone's safe as well as can be possible. And so that's an amazing thing that God's done that. And uh, that is going to continue. We already know God's opening other doors. And uh, so Frankie and, and Joanna are doing the mental health class uh, the two times a month. We had a suicide prevention thing. We have discipleship classes going on. There's just a lot of things happening, and God is opening doors for us to make a difference in this community, we're excited about it. So everybody here from the mission, I want you to know that as a church, that everybody has embraced you, and not one person has said anything negative about you being here. And this church of CFF is your church, and we're glad you're part of our family. And so, yeah, pretty amazing. I was asked about that, and I was uh, like somebody from the outside, not anybody at our church. It was I'm, I, not everybody knows this, and I'm not saying it for any reason. I'm, I'm online doing my classes, and I'm going for my doctorate. And so, like when I go through stuff, that doesn't mean I'm smart. It just means I'm going through the educational hoops. That's all that means, okay? But I'm going through those hoops over here, getting my doctorate degree in ministry and stuff. And so, someone from the outside that doesn't even know us was wondering if there was like a negative response from the church about bringing people in from a mission and not knowing their background like we don't know anybody's background <laughs> just, just say, we got a lot of nuts around here and I'm just telling you right now that <laughs> we come from a very colorful background and uh, I'm their pastor so we're all good man you know uh, <laughs> it's like I don't even know where you're coming from we're, we're just here and we love Jesus and that's what it's all about and and that's what heaven's going to be made up of is people who say yes to Jesus with all kinds of backgrounds when you think about Jesus on the cross there was two two criminals being crucified put to death for their crimes and one of them just said hey can you remember me and he said today you're going to heaven with me buddy you're going to paradise this very moment I mean heaven's going to be filled with people that say yes to Jesus that people on earth would think no way are they going to make it and then there's going to be the religious people that think they got it because they practiced their own self-righteous religion and Jesus is going to say I never knew you it's important for you and I to know that we have a living, real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if we don't know that, we can, we must, and we have to know that. It's not a hope so. The church can't do it for you. Being here on Sunday doesn't do it. Only Jesus can do that. And he invites us into this incredible relationship with God. That's what the season is all about. And so as we celebrate hope today, we're going to do so by visiting our friend Nehemiah in the Old Testament again, which I'm all jazzed up about. I love it. I love Nehemiah. And if you spend time in his book, he's going to fast become one of your favorite Bible characters. He will. Before I even talk a little bit more about him, because we started it last Sunday, I'm going to ask you, as we talked about his intercessory prayer, remember, he was in captivity. He had a great job. He was uh, the wine uh, bearer to the king. Had a great job there, wealth, power, prestige, influence in the kingdom and all that. And when he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem and how it was in desolation and problems, it struck his heart. He began to pray and fast and weep before God that God would do something about Jerusalem's problem. And then he said, God, send me. Let me do something. And so it's not just intercessory prayers, not just saying, hey, God, fix that. It's God, fix that. Help me do something. 
And that's what the intercessory prayer of Nehemiah was as he prayed for that. And so last Sunday, all we asked you, not all, but in the process of the message, we asked, hey, what is God talking to you about? What need are you aware of that you are praying about that you can bring before the Father and ask him to help you do something about it? So it's only been a week. Are you still asking? That wasn't on one of our accountability questions. This is from our action steps. So I'm asking you, are you still asking God? Lord, send me. Help me do something about this broken, messed up condition that we have here. So, so when God opened the door, Nehemiah was able to go in. Remember, it was from the fall to the spring. So I was saying in the other service there, I was saying like if you're in Michigan, that's like nine months. Right? <laughs> There's like this little couple months of, that's where I come from. You have a couple months of summer, which is high humidity and a bunch of mosquitoes, and then it turns into fall again, and then you have winter. So, you know, that's the way it is. So I'm saying, like, I don't know what the environment was where he was, but it says from the autumn to the spring, so it could have been six months or nine months or whatever that time frame was. He was asking God, today, grant me favor. Today, God, today, today, today. And he continued to ask God. And so I want to encourage you, that you continue to seek God's face about meeting the need and using you in it. Don't stop. We need to continue to pray. So because today is the first day of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, and we're talking about hope, we want to just lift that up out of the text and go back to Nehemiah. As we look at the character himself, I want you to know that Nehemiah was not a pastor. He was not a priest. We don't even know what tribe he came from. It doesn't say. So he wasn't one of the Levites. He wasn't a prophet. What I'm telling you is Nehemiah was just a guy. In today's world, we would say a layman. I don't like that term, so I rarely use it, but that's the term of the church that talks about people who go to church. Okay, so a layman. So that means he didn't have a specific office in serving God. He just served God, and I say just very, you know, not meaning just. He served God. And he was just a man who served God. And he was saying, God, use me to make a difference. And so God did. I just want you to know that God's just waiting for you to present yourself to him so that he can make a difference through you. And here Nehemiah does this. So we're going to read some of the verses we did last week to tie into today. Nehemiah chapter 2. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letter to them. The king, I should add, 
had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Some great stuff right there, man. There's like so much cool stuff in Nehemiah. You got to take some time and read it. It's so awesome. I love it. So even though it took from the, the fall to the spring before the door was open, it was definitely something Nehemiah expected God to open. Okay? I want to make sure that we get the foundation of this right. Even though when we read in chapter 1, Nehemiah's prayer, it says that he fasted and he mourned and he prayed morning and night. And he asked God, and we have his prayer recorded, and we read it for you last week in chapter 1, and he said, today, grant me favor with this king. Okay, so he was asking God every day to be the day. Now, it's been all this period of time that he's been asking God, and the door hasn't been opening, but Nehemiah obviously knew it would open because when the God asked him, Nehemiah, when the king asked him, Nehemiah had a plan. So he wasn't just praying about something, he was praying about it, but he was praying specifically about what he could do, and so he was putting together a plan. When the door would open, he would have that plan to say, here you go, this is what I want to do. All right, church, many Christians, many, I'm not saying you, many Christians simply pray and expect God to, to work it out. We don't even spend time thinking about a plan because we're just waiting for God to supernaturally fix everything and make it work. All right, Nehemiah was not just praying, God, protect the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, but God, help me to go back there, rebuild the walls so that we can protect that city. It's your city. Those are your people. So he's putting together a plan. I just want you to know that a lot of people think whatever will be will be and they just let it go. That's not what God wants from us. He wants some action along with our prayer and our faith. God expects us to do something, church. We make plans by faith. We believe God's going to do something, and God's wanting to do something. Do you remember when Jesus was there on the mountain and he's ascending? And he tells those guys that are all gathered around him, there's about 120 of them there on that day when he ascended, and he says, wait for the power the Father promised, the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. So what Jesus said was, hey, God's about to do something more. He's about to fulfill the complete plan of redemption by empowering you with the Spirit of God himself, and then you're going to go out and do something with it. And the church said... So over and over in the New Testament, we read that it tells us that we are the body of Christ. All right, so we know that the, the church of Jesus Christ is not just CFF here. I mean, we're not stupid. We don't think we're the only ones, and if you do, you're messed up. Okay, the church of Jesus Christ is everyone who believes in the Savior Jesus Christ and lives the faith and calls others to that faith. That's the body of Christ as a whole comes from in many different places but it has to be about jesus that's the body of christ okay but we at christian faith fellowship are one of his bodies in the form of christian faith fellowship therefore within the context of who we are we should be functioning as a body doing the work of christ he's the head he's the one that gives the direction and we're the body that responds to the head Therefore, we are moving according to what the Spirit of God says to us and gives us direction, which means we're actually doing the work. He is the empowerment. He's the director of the work. He sends the messages, but he does it through our actions. 
And so for a long time, the church of Jesus Christ, at least in the United States, has been pretty inactive. And we've prayed and asked God to do something. And we're saying, like, God, move, and God, move. And we're saying, save Tucson, save the United States. Oh, God, save the world. And we're praying these things, and, and God's saying, do something. Do something. Do something. And we're like, oh, God, do something. God, do something. And there's nothing getting done. And God's already done his part. He gave his life for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to us. He said when the Spirit comes, He's going to empower us. He's going to convict us. He's going to convict the world of sin. Go out and engage what God's doing out there by the Spirit of God within you. And then God can do a work. But God can't do a work when God's body is paralyzed. Bedridden. We're like couch potato Christians. Like, come on, God. I know what needs to be happening here. Everything needs to change. We need the government to change. We need the schools to change. We need that to change. We need the church to change. We need everything to change. Come on, God, change it. Yeah. And God's like, I'm trying. Come on. Romans 12, we love that chapter, and we should, and especially the first three verses. Those of us that are pastors and teachers, we quote that a lot of times. We preach about it. But today we're going to read not only the first three verses, but we're going to continue reading because it puts a little more meat on the bones of the body of Christ, and it also says something about worship and who we are. So together we read this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So we love that part, right? I mean, we should. It's telling us that we should be all in. We're all in on this. I mean, this is what worship's all about. And so in our minds, we think about being in church, and worship means that I'm singing and praising God. I'm listening to his word. I'm in the house of God, and so that's worship. And we have misappropriated that message to the world. We in the church have. Because this is a, a part of worship, but this is not worship as a whole. I mean, you don't even have to sing to worship. You don't have to hear a preacher to worship. Worship is giving adoration and praise to who God is, and worship is acknowledgement of who he is. And so as we look at this, and even in our English language, I want you to know that worship is a verb which requires action. Okay, just think about that. Worship requires act. doesn't mean moving around. It's saying it's part of a movement. All right, so now this is what it's telling us. This is what we're all about. We're all in. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. All right. All right, it's not about you. It's not happening because of you. It happens because we have faith in who God is. All right, and that's what he's telling us. This is, this is still talking about us worshiping God. It says, what is God doing through me? Only God can do it because I already know as an honest assessment of myself, nothing can happen through me. It has to be God. He said so. Actually, I have scripture to prove that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God's word tells me 
that those of us that are called, he doesn't choose the wise. He doesn't choose the noble. He doesn't choose those that are gifted. He chooses the ignorant and the weak. I mean, how are you going to be arrogant about that? Yeah, I'm a dummy. You know, I'm, I'm amazing. No, God picked me because he's like, when people look at you, they're going to say, if anything's happening, it's got to be God because that dude can't do nothing. Right? <laughs> That's what he's telling us. And so when we look at the word of God and he teaches us this, it's, it's, it's right here. It's about me surrendering and understanding and faith and God can do anything. See, when Nehemiah was there in a foreign country, he's like, that can change. I know this God. Hey, God, let's change that. Use me. Change that. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. Come on, he was, he was the wine bearer to the king. But he saw something and he said, God, that needs to be different. Use me. Let's change that. That's what we're talking about. That's what Romans is teaching us right here. And Nehemiah didn't even have this to read. And here we are. It's talking to us. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith. God has given us, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Hey, whatever you do, do it for God with all your might. God is using you. God wants to use you. Do you know you have abilities and talents? Just who you are. I mean... The church is nuts. I, I'm just confessing to you. The church is nuts. I mean, we got gift assessments. We got talent things. We take this test and figure out who you are. It's like, come on, slow down for a second. What's happening in your life? What's going on around you right now? What do you do that you do well? God wants you to do that for him. And when you do it, do it well for him. And when you do it, give him glory as you do it. And that's how you find out what your talents are. And then exercise those talents by doing it for the glory of God and give Him glory every time you do it and have faith that God's going to help you to do it better. Right. It's not complicated. It isn't. You don't have to figure it out. Come on. All right. As a, it's Christmas time, right? You grab the gift and you're looking at it. Well, we don't put them out because I was a kid once and I know. Uh, you're going to try and figure <laughs> out what's in that box and you have all these ideas. And as a kid, I had all these ideas, and none of those boxes ever met my fantasies. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had everything in the world in that little tiny box, you know, everything. And when I would open it, there would be a letdown because it wasn't any of it. All right? Okay. So here's the thing I want to tell you is that you don't have to figure out your gifts. Quit it. It's a gift. And, and the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit give gifts unto men as he sees fit. So I'm not like, oh, I got to figure it out. What is my gift? I don't understand. What's my gift? What's my Relax. Live for Jesus. And let God empower you with a gift that he sees fit. In the moment he wants you to have it, you're going to have it. And so just open it in the moment and be surprised and excited about it. Because God's the one that's given it to you. All right? Okay. Anyway, whatever you do for the Lord, do it with all your might. Fully embrace it with everything within you. So remember, Nehemiah is interceding. Sorry, but I'm, like, I'm still getting used to our, let's 
third service thing and time and it's like 5 to 12 and I'm freaking out in my mind like, you dude, you guys, <laughs> we're good, all right? <laughs> Nehemiah was interceding for God to do something about Israel's problem, but in his prayer, he was asking God to use him to do something about it, right? When God opens the door, um, Nehemiah steps in. Nehemiah steps into that door because he had a plan, and when that door opened, he let that plan be known, and he gave it to the king. When the request was granted, he didn't just like, "Woo, thank you, Jesus, that's over with. Uh-uh. Look, when you remember what we just read, he said, I want to go back and rebuild that wall and that city. And then he says, and, and hey, king, um, since you're going to let me go do this, can you also give me letters so that I can get over there? And then would you mind paying for the job? what he did he's, that's exactly what he did he's like I, I want to go do this but uh, he didn't tell him up front hey I want you to pay for me to go back he didn't do that he said this is what I want to go do and then after that door is open he steps in there and says can you pay for it can you give me a letter and let me have all the wood that I need to make that stuff happen I want to have the supplies I need for the city I need all this and then I need a house too so would you mind if you just build me a house there you know I mean, that's pretty amazing, but that's exactly what he did. But listen, church, here's the deal. Nehemiah wasn't saying, I want a I wanna, uh, cabin in the mountains to retire in. He said, can you build me a house so I can do what God's asked me to do? There's a big difference. See, he was doing what God wanted him to do. Actually, he was doing what he was wanting God to do through him. And so he was saying, I, I need a house there so that I could actually do this very thing that I want to do that God has put in my heart. So when God opens the door, he steps in and he's ready to make something happen. So then not only did that happen, this, here's a really cool thing, man, is like the king one-ups him, all right? It's not just that he says, hey, will you do this and give me this letter and will you pay the way and give me the stuff to do it? And the king says, yeah, not only that, I'm going to give you all that stuff, but I'm also going to give you a military escort while you go. And the king did. I'm going to give you horsemen, and I'm going to give you foot soldiers, and they're going to go with you to protect you on your journey. I want you to know that God will always one-up us when we do it for him. God will always do that. But I know there's also another reason for it, because the king is very well aware of what's out there. Remember, all that Nehemiah has done so far has happened in the palace. He's in this protected, wonderful environment. And this is where he's at. He's only heard about that, and he wants to go there, so he has all this stuff in his mind about what it's going to be like. Well, the king knows it's his, it's his kingdom. He's like, yeah, I'll give you the letters, but uh, you're going to need an escort because those guys over there are not a welcoming committee, and they're not going to be okay with you coming, so you probably take some soldiers with you, right? When I came to the governor's, of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letter to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Yeah. No matter what you do for God, you're going to have opposition. When you make a step of faith, there will always be an opposition to what you're about to do just the way it is. Jesus in his ministry met, he was met with opposition right after his baptism when the Holy Spirit falls on him. John the Baptist says behold the Lamb of God. The Spirit falls upon him and this, there's this glorified moment where Jesus is standing there on the, on the bank of the river 
and the voice of God speaks out. This is my beloved son. I mean, it sounds like thunder when God's voice comes and the people hear it. What an amazing moment. All right, let's just transfer back for just a second to Nehemiah in the palace when the king says, whatever you want. It's like that euphoric high, like, woohoo, it's happening, man. Same thing was happening with Jesus. And you know what happened right afterwards? Led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, and the devil was trying to stop him before he even got started. Like, I'm going to stop you. You should do this. Let's end this. Let's do this. Let's end this. Let's do this. Let's end this. Same thing was going on here. So, I mean, Nehemiah just shows up, and there's already plans to come against him, and he hasn't even started anything yet. All right, A lot of Christians have been discouraged in trying to do something for God before they even get started, and so they don't even start. I'm just going to say, church, we need to get some backbone about us. We need to strengthen ourselves. We need to step up, and we've got to stop being cowards that shrink back just because someone opens their mouth against us, and we need to start standing up for who our God is and step in by faith and cross that line and actually put some footwork to what God's asked us to do, right? Amen. All for Jesus, man. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. I'm going to keep reading, but I got to pause there because you remember from autumn to spring, Nehemiah is praying today. He's putting together a plan. Do you see where he says the plan came from? He says, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart. It's not about him. He didn't come to Jerusalem and on day one say, Hello, everybody. I'm here to save you. Hey, I want to fix this place. It's a mess. He didn't declare any of that. He silently went there with a thing in his heart that said, God's going to do something here, and I know it because God birthed this plan within me. It wasn't about Nehemiah. He wasn't about who he was. He was about what God wanted to do. Remember, that's why he had the house. Many of us are asking God to do stuff to us, but it's really for our benefit, not for God's. We need to check ourselves and ask God, what do you want to do, God? How can you be glorified in this? And then do it for the glory of God. He went out in silence. Three days, he didn't even talk about it. We get an emotional feeling and we're posting on Facebook. You know what I mean? I mean, like, whoo, man, service was awesome. God touched me and this is what he did. It's like, relax for a minute, all right? Post that on Wednesday after you've been walking with Jesus for the last three days because you've been obedient to what God said to you on Sunday. Amen. All right, I will stop at that. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped. Not that you shouldn't post on Facebook. Go ahead. I don't care. I slipped out during the night, make, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out. I went out through the valley gate, past the jack- jackal's wall, well, over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. So last week I mentioned this, and we mention it here again because we're reading in the context that the reality moments keep coming to Nehemiah. 
you know, the moment that he had to face the king and all of a sudden he had to make a request. It wasn't a time of quietness with God anymore. It wasn't writing notes in his journal by himself. A moment of truth came when the king said, what's up? And he had to push through his fear to let him know. Here's another one of those moments. Prior to this, it had been all about prayer and vision and exciting things and, and all about the vision and the possibilities and looking at the finished product and thinking, wow, we're going to do this. And now he's riding around looking at it and saying, whoa, dude, this is messed up. I can't even get through the city here. I've got to go way out and around just to see this mess. It's broken. It's messed up. I'm going through the only passage. My little donkey can't even get through the debris that's here. Now, here, here's the thing. Remember, when we're talking about this, now Nehemiah is about to announce to everybody that things are about to change. I'm going to tell you all something that I'm here that God put something in my heart and we're going to fix what's messed up here. Now, just think about this for a minute. These people had been living in this brokenness for 75 years. There had been people that were born in that brokenness. All they'd ever known was that brokenness. They didn't even understand there could be anything other than brokenness. And now Nehemiah is going to stand up and say, this is not right. This has to change. And it's going to change now, and we're going to do something about it. I want to see this brokenness taken apart piece by piece, and it needs to be built the right way. That was his message, and he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't any of that. But he was coming to an entire city of people who were used to the brokenness, and he was going to tell them things have to change. Another moment of truth. Another reality. Church. If we did a Nehemiah run around Tucson today and we went around the city and just looked at its brokenness, the messed up government, the messed up school system, the court systems, the prison systems, the houses of ill repute that are everywhere in our city, degrading women and making them sex objects, strip clubs all over the place. It's ridiculous. We have places where you can go to get an abortion. We have things that are against the family. We have broken families. We have children going to school that don't have any lunches and they never ate breakfast right here in Tucson. And if we assess the brokenness of our community and we look at this city and we look at it and everywhere you go, you'll see brokenness. And we're like, God save Tucson. And we're waiting for that supernatural movement that will start, that will zap everything and make it better. And God's saying, church, it's you. You are the hope of Tucson. You're it. So we're saying, God, do something. And God's saying, I want to. What are you going to do about it? What have we owned right here? What are we owning and saying, God, help us do something. Do something, God, with me to change this. Jesus Christ is the hope of Tucson. He is the hope of our government, the hope of our broken homes. Look, brokenness is normal here. When I'm talking to people and they ask me about my wife and, and all that, and it's a conversation, I say, yeah, we've been married 35 years, and they're like, you're what? That's not normal. Brokenness is normal. Brokenness in relationship, brokenness in homes, brokenness in families. I mean, the family unit is just, oh, it's like that debris that Nehemiah was looking at in our city. 
We don't have to live that way. We don't have to stay there. That doesn't have to be the norm. But someone's got to step up and say it's going to change. It starts today. Today it's going to change. God, we're knocking on the door and saying, God, use us to change this. You don't have to carry the patterns of the brokenness of your family history. You don't have to repeat the brokenness of your parents. You don't have to repeat the brokenness of the church. Church, we need to wake up to the newness and the power of this God that we serve that wants to build something new, something that he died to create here on planet Earth, not waiting for eternity, but something he wants to build right here using us. Are you with him and are you ready and will you let him use you to build his church on earth? (laughs) Okay, Jesus Christ is the hope. We therefore are the hope in action, right? Okay, so what one thing can you do right now? Remember we were asking last week, what's God putting in your heart? What are you concerned about? What's the thing you're carrying? What is it? You know what? We're asking you for the gold. Didn't even plan this at all. I don't, I'm definitely not that. Yeah, I'm not that. Like each one, reach one, teach one. God spoke that to me like last month. And I'm, you know, like, okay. So here we are today. And it's like, oh, God, you're amazing. And it just makes sense. It's like, what can we do? God, show me the one. Show me the one. Show me the one. Everyone can do that. Okay, and then we're like, well, how's that going to fix anything? Because once one is changed and they feel the impact of Jesus Christ and their life is transformed and they're made new and they share that message with someone else, pretty soon Tucson's starting to feel an impact. Yeah, things are happening now. God lays it on someone's heart that we need to start an after-school program for kids or we need to provide breakfast for them before they go to school. We got to do these kind of things, right? right? See, God does that. God does that. And he does it by us just being faithful to what he's asked us to do, church. Will you sign up for God's work? Hmm. Okay. So in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, right? Well, church, I'm just telling you right now that the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America and this church and all of us, we've adopted many of the things of culture and become normal to us. And so I'm going to challenge you as we're talking about doing something for God, and I'm going to address retirement for just a moment. So if you're not close to retirement, just relax. You will be faster than you think you are. And those of you that are facing retirement, hear me out. We live in this amazing nation that where if you work and do certain things that, that you'll, I'm not saying you're going to be rich. Trust me, I understand that. Even if you're just on Social Security and it's still happening and you have an income, then God is paying you to do ministry full-time. You have an income, and you should be doing ministry full-time, okay? So I'm telling you this because it's like, for some reason, we've adopted the mindset of culture here that now that I've worked all these years, I'm going to do something for me. It's not about you. It's about him. And God has blessed you in a way that now you're able to have no strings attached and you can do something with eternal value for free. And you can bless a church or a community or a community center or a ministry or a mission with yourself being paid and go do something for the kingdom of God. Look, I mean, I'm telling you, church, churches should be filled with volunteers. 
if from no one else the senior citizens of our community not that they should do everything don't misunderstand me but i'm telling you the church should have more than enough volunteers to help this is not a commercial for help although it is <laughs> i mean i'm serious i'm telling you because look we're we're part of the wesleyan church which most of you think we're non-denominational we are it doesn't mean anything and i don't even care about that stuff all right but i'm just going to tell you that because this there's a group of people that come from this church that we're sisters to and there's a group of us across the world and they have this city literally in in florida where they all retire and move to i mean a lot of pastors and things they they retire from the ministry and they go there and they all live in this community and i'm like what i mean what in the world is going on down there that is nuts i mean for one thing never mind i won't even say that um, I can't imagine being in a whole community of pastors. I know that. That's one nutty thing right there. But anyway, it's like, all right, so why aren't we out there serving in the church? Especially pastors who have known what it's all about and gone through the years of struggle in the church. They ought to be the first ones to say, what can I do? Right? Okay, church, what I'm saying to you is, is as you're preparing for retirement and stop, stop dreaming about things that you think you want to do because you're probably not going to be able to anyway. So why don't you just ask God, what do you want me to do? And maybe God will build you a house somewhere, but it might not be in the mountains. It might be in South Tucson, <laughs> where you can go and live and serve the community and love them. Amen. See, what I'm, I'm not telling you that's what God's saying to you. I'm saying, God, what are you saying to us? How can we serve you, God? How can we make a difference? Lord, how can we make a difference? Help us. We don't want to just do church. I, I'm telling you right now, Jesus did not die so you could sit in that seat. He didn't, all right? He didn't. I mean, you should sit in that seat every Sunday, and I'm making light of that, and you should have someone sitting in the seat next to you that you bring. But that's not the reason he died. He died so that we could change the world. And until we're engaging him fully and following the Spirit's guidance and direction in our lives out there in this world, Tucson has no hope. Tucson does not have hope. It is a dark city, and it needs Jesus. I mean, if anyone ought to know that, it's us. All right, do you know him? I got my action steps. I'm going to get out of here early, I think. <laughs> I don't know what the math figures out. Some of y'all have been here since 1030, I know, but... Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you know him? Yes. What are you doing with Jesus for Jesus? What are you doing with this Jesus who is your Savior for this Jesus who is your Savior? Think about it. What are you doing for him? All right. Have you allowed the discouraging voice of the enemy to stop you from doing what God has asked you to do? Yes. Let's push through that, okay? The enemy wants to intimidate you and get you to be quiet and step back, step up. Let's be bold for God. Let's wait for God to open the door and then walk boldly by faith, expecting God to do his work through us, okay? God wants to do something different, and, and I'm asking him, God, save Tucson and use us. Use me. Change this place, God. Heal the brokenness. Let us be the ones that begin to build the walls and restructure the gates and show the way. Let people see it through our families and our homes, our relationships that are healed, that we're making right relationships with God and with one another. 
We're forgiving our family. We're releasing them from what they've done from us. We're stepping up and acting like Christians. We're loving our enemies. We're blessing those that curse us. This is what about being a Christian's all about, church. So let's respond to him. Would you stand with me? Lord, we want to tell you today that we're in, and we say yes. We're knocking on the door and say, God, show us. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the doors you're opening. Thank you for the gifts that you have blessed us with, with these vans to pick up these people. God, would you increase that? Lord, help us to, to need a bus, to need a building, to encourage people to walk with you, to be transformed and changed, that we are not victims. We are not the defeated. We're not the weak body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who lives within us. Greater is he that lives within us than he that is in the world. God, we have all the power available, all the authority through you. And so, God, we declare today that we are here to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, make it real to us as we each one reach one and teach one what it means to follow you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. God is good. All right. We're responding to him, and I got to say two things to you before you go. You thought you were done, right? We do need the chairs stacked and slid to that wall, but last week when I was praying and I was talking about saying yes to Jesus, some of y'all thought I was going to another church. I just want you to know he asks me to say yes to more than just going to a church, okay? I'm not leaving. We are plans for what God's doing. So let's stack those chairs and God bless you. Thank you.